Welcome to Jim's Take. I'm your host, Jim Vaughn. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Kennedy. As summer is winding down, we hope our clients are enjoying some pina coladas on the beach. We will discuss the second home and how to prepare your heirs on this episode of Jim's Take. Our experience has been that the family second home can be a great source of family joy, family unity, and can also be a positive financial experience for our clients. We have found, uh, as residents of North New Jersey suburbs, that the home in this area is not what attracts the family. It is the summer home, whether it's at the shore, uh, on the beach, in the mountains. It's the summer home that brings the family back together. As financial planners and investment advisors, we like plants. The second home is particularly special in terms of planning. Parents often want their children to use the second home even after they meet their great reward. With that being said, we're going to go through the planning process, and that is most important for the second home. What does that process look like, Jim? We have asked our clients what they have done with their second homes, and from the clients telling us, uh, we have come up with some good ideas some bad ideas, best practices, worst practices for handling the summer home. And what we have found is that for some families, what is a worst practice can be the best practice for a different family. It all depends on on each family. But we have gotten uh, some ideas from the from clients and things that worked and we're going to I think today we're going to talk about some of those processes. Yeah, I believe we've broken it up into four categories. The finances of the home, the upkeep or maintenance, and then scheduling and exit strategies. So you want to start with probably the most important part of it, how to pay for the house. I think it's fair to say that every single family summer place second house starts with mom and dad paying for 100%. Uh, So not only do mom and dad pay for everything, they schedule everything, they manage the house. In the beginning, there isn't all that much thought about moving the house on to the next generation. But in the beginning, it's all mom and dad. Thanks, mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) What does that entail in terms of, I guess, the mom and dad's finances? What do they have to set up in order to keep the house going? Well, when they start, mom and dad basically pay for it. They they typically have borrowed to to buy it. Time goes on and all of a sudden the children start growing, the children start getting married. It becomes more difficult. What was once a very large house could accommodate everybody frequently starts to get smaller and scheduling becomes an issue. But just to move on to how does this house get from the first generation to the second generation? And I don't want to skip over issues like scheduling and maintenance, but let's just touch on some of the planning ideas. The first planning idea, and the family should probably have a discussion about it, is just acknowledge how hard it is to keep the summer house, the second house, in the family for the next generation. They're expensive. They're hard to maintain, typically. And hard is, is both the, the home can be located in an area, whether it's a ski place or a shore place, 
that the house gets beat up. So it needs more maintenance than year-round home, the main home. And the finances can be uh, extraordinarily difficult to deal with. So the family has to address that issue. Again, it could be mom and dad solving the problem by creating a fund, whether it's in a trust or not is another issue, but creating a fund that pays for the summer house and allows the family to maintain it. So that's an issue. And, and that's a, a solution to the issue is that, once again, mom and dad pay for it. Jim, in, in terms of the finances, you know, we're talking about best practices. What would be the worst practice in terms of handling the finances for the second home? Well, we did have one client where mom and dad actually couldn't afford the house themselves. Mom had inherited the house from her family, had always gone to it. She wanted the house to stay in the family, but she couldn't afford it. Typically, in a second house, mom and dad are paying for everything on the second house, and that's how things start. So when the scenario comes up that mom and dad can't afford the house, and so therefore they transfer it to, the, to their children, with the idea that the children will now pay for it and they'll have a place to go on vacation. Well, that certainly needs the children to agree on it in advance. There's no reason to believe that the children are in the same economic circumstances. And and in this family's case, the children all agreed to it. And then instantly, there's four children, and instantly one of them didn't realize how expensive it was. And so spoke up right away and said, I can't afford this. The fourth one, it took a couple years before they couldn't afford it. So then they were in a situation where two children were paying for everything. The other two children weren't or were partially. And so there is, if you want to, if the family wants to keep that kind of situation going, they can create capital accounts and start doing some accounting whereby the two children who are paying are essentially making loans with the house's collateral to the two children who aren't paying. In the case of this family, the, what they did is start setting up allowances among themselves using scheduling. So the children who were paying got the good weeks, and the children who were not paying got the bad weeks, and everybody got angry about that. Because what they really wanted to do, they wanted to be there at the same time. And then, of course, once they're annoyed with each other, they don't want to be there at the same time. That became a fiasco because now no one can afford. They start getting annoyed. The two, pa- the two children who are paying stop paying. Mom still wants to uh, maintain the house. She can't afford it. The house starts getting run down. Disaster. It should be sold. And it should be sold way before that. If you can't afford the house... Transferring the, the debt to your children is not the problem and not the solution. Excuse me. <laughs> it is the problem. It is the problem. So I guess that sort of leads us into the next topic of the maintenance on it. A lot of, people, a lot of the kids don't know what it takes to maintain the house. So how, how would a client who's looking to buy a summer house translate that to teaching the next generation on the maintenance? This is as mom and dad age, uh, shifting the maintenance. And, and maintenance, again, is both financial cost and ma- supervising the work. The supervision, uh, getting the landscaper to show up, getting the plumber to show up, identifying who the plumber is. We, we have a family 
And one of the problems they ran into is that the children were, were happy to call and get the house maintained, except they kept calling their person. And so they'd, each child would call their plumber. And they ended up having plumbers working at cross purposes for each other, which is not a good answer. So the maintenance has to be paid for, and it also has to be done. Somebody has to make the call to get, to get these things done. It's got to be supervised. Somebody probably has to be at the house while this work is done. And that's not easy. It's not an easy, it's not to get solved. But that's a good place to start is on the, in the whole maintenance and the management of the maintenance. Paying for it might still be on mom and dad or could be on this family fund if mom and dad are gone and have set up this family fund. Scheduling is an interesting topic. Why does that need to be planned? Scheduling is easy when mom and dad have a set of young children because mom and dad decide what everybody's schedule is going to be and they put them in the car and they take them to the second the uh, second home. So that is is straightforward we'll call it. As children age and they start to work and they start to get married, they can't and don't come when Mom and dad say they come when they want to, which can create scheduling problems because there isn't enough room. That's one issue. I wish that every family in the history of the world all got along with each other, but they don't necessarily. And that issue compounds as people start getting married. So it could be that you have to schedule around, we'll we'll call them other family conflicts besides work. So that kind of scheduling has to be done. It typically starts with mom and dad, the matriarch and the patriarch, addressing these issues. But once mom and dad are gone, these issues have to be addressed by the next generation. And that presents a whole new set of problems. Again, problems that may not be resolvable, in which case, the family then has to, th- and probably should think through an exit strategy on, you know, w- what do we do with the, the house if somebody doesn't want to use it, can't use it. You know, they live in California. The house is in New Jersey, that kind of thing. How do we get them out of the family? How do we buy them out of the family house? Has to be thought through. Jim, what happens when the parents see the children arguing over the scheduling? We have seen that as a, as a leading indicator that if there's disagreements on scheduling, uh, everybody wants to go July 4th week and no one will relent, no system of odd even years, n- taking turns doesn't work, there's just a disagreement. That's probably an indicator that it's time for the house to be sold. And I'm really talking about a scenario where mom and dad are gone and the children now own the house and are unable to agree, it's probably time for the house to be sold and the children take their proceeds and either buy their own house, which is always a good solution, if that's possible. You know, one of the problems we're having nowadays is that these houses have appreciated so much that selling the big house down at the shore and buying two or three small ones simply isn't possible. The finances aren't there. But that, that scheduling conflict is an indicator that uh, it's time to sell the house. 
with the last part of the planning process is the exit strategies. Although it is surprising to me that the exit strategies have to be thought of before buying the house. In a perfect world, Tyler, business partnerships, real estate ventures would all contemplate how we're going to get out before we get in. Uh, One of the best success stories I've heard of was a family, the the children were all, already had children. So the children are approaching lower 30s. Parents are getting ready to retire in their 50s. And three children and parents bought a piece of property that had two uh, building living units on it and a pool house that could be converted into a living unit, had a kitchen in it already. So they had three structures. So there was going to be almost enough for all the family members. Immediately, one of the sons got married, and a decision was made that he he wanted out. And they bought him out, and they had the money to buy out his fourth. Mom and dad were willing to move to the smallest property. Finally, a decision was made that everybody was getting too big. And so because they had agreed beforehand, the solution was going to be that somebody bought out the brothers, sisters, parents. And if they couldn't, they put the property up for sale. And that's what happened. The property was up for sale. But there was no family disagreement because they'd already agreed on this and they had already executed it by buying out the one brother. That's, a, that's an ideal scenario. Two children go into a house to, to buy it. The house is big enough for both their families. If they can agree that if anybody wants out, the other either buys them or the house goes on the market, that can resolve a lot of family conflict issues. Can you give an example of a worst case in terms of exit strategies where the family doesn't agree? They don't agree, and the, the maintenance of the property is being shared by all four siblings. Only two use the property, and so the other two not only have their capital tied up in the property, but they get still have their share of the property taxes, the maintenance, and they resent it and are having conflicts with the other brothers and sisters about selling the house. If the family second home becomes a source of family conflict, that's the worst case scenario, and there should be an agreement that the house is sold, everyone gets their funds. If there's a side investment fund to support the house, that gets divvied up and everyone goes their separate ways. We, we want the vacation second home to be a source of family unity, family vacations, the cousins getting to know each other. That's what the goal is. If it's not working out that way, then it's a time to get rid of the house. We'll be right back after this. Can I just put up another in the worst case scenario? Because I just talked on on finances. There's other scenarios where uh, family members raise their children differently, we'll call it. And so you you get what one 
family member thinks is misbehavior by a niece or nephew, and it's tolerated by their parents. To have that kind of situation in a house is a, is a disaster, and it, it doesn't end well, and, and it, usually, it usually comes to a head pretty quickly. Uh, th- those don't fester. <laughs> those go wrong early. So that's another area, and there should be an agreement that if that kind of situation comes up, that, that you sell the house immediately. I mean, let's face it, Tyler, all of the children get married and move out of mom and dad's house at some point, and they don't live with their brothers and sisters. It, it's only a second house issue where they try to make it work for a week or 10 days because it doesn't work long term. It just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Now that we've covered everything, how, how do we help our clients with this? An, an area that I want to point out, we had several clients who talked about their camps. And, the, and camps, I've now learned, is a upstate New York, New England term for a lake house. And one of the interesting themes with these folks and their camps, these clients and their camps, was that there would be the main house that mom and dad bought on the lake. And yet, and the house across the street, every one of these lakes seems to have Lake Street, the house across the lake street would be inexpensive and would be within the reach of either mom or dad buying a second place or uh, a child buying the house. And so you could have reasonably the children buy houses across the street and yet still have access to the lake at mom and dad's house. And we, we have several clients who were able to pull this off where second houses were purchased in lesser neighborhoods, but close to the main house. And that, that all worked. All the toys, the boats, the docks were all at the main house. And in both of these families, a decision was made by the family that when uh, mom and dad died, there would be a fund set up for the support of the main house. In both cases that I can think of, the fund was enough to maintain the house for decades or at least a generation. And mom and dad felt they were doing a good thing. The children were completely on board. These were scenarios where since they they could go to the lake and have a separate living space, they weren't having any conflicts among the grandchildren. In fact, the, the nieces and nephews in both these cases are very good friends. And this is exactly the kind of scenario that mom and dad want, is they want the cousins to know each other no matter where they might live in the uh, wintertime. All of these kinds of things lend themselves to using the family house as a source of family unity. The money matters. Funding the operation matters, which that's really where we get involved and the investment program gets involved. Having the family agree on the plan is a key piece to, to it. Get the family involved in what the plan is, how we're going to pay for it. And the family is agreeing that they're not going to get their share at mom and dad's death. They're going to get something less in order to support this, this house. On that planning theme, if somebody moves, if somebody moves, and for whatever reason, to another part of uh, the country, 
they certainly would be welcome back to the family compound as a guest, but uh, there probably should be a mechanism to buy them out. And by the way, the mechanism can be slow. Why not pay them out over 30 years? There's, there's no reason it has to be in a lump sum on day one, but there should be a buyout. To ask somebody living in Texas to fund a lake house in upstate New York or a beach house in the Hamptons is just asking for trouble. Yeah, I think a big thing that we've, we've seen is not only is the planning process important, but everything, everyone involved knows you know, the cost of the house, the upkeep, exit strategies prior to agreeing. So it's the importance of everyone knowing before action is taken. I, I think that's right, Tyler. Uh, we have seen, and, and we have a, a case that's going on right now of a, a house at the beach. And with great pride, the patriarch literally built it with his brother. His brothers died. He, he now owns the house all by himself. And the house was one of these beach places. The lot cost nothing. He, he built it with his own bare hands. Well, time goes on. And now the place and the land are worth millions and millions, a number that the next generation, it would, it would alter the life of the next generation if they were to sell it and uh, split the proceeds. And yet they want to keep it, but realistically they can't. The, the maintenance and the upkeep is, is just too high. No one is able to buy it. They're not willing to rent it out. So that becomes a difficult problem in that the value of the house has just grown to such an extent that it makes it impossible to keep. And so families should contemplate that. And it's a shame that they can't go vacation in this multi-million dollar facility, which just from the passage of time, but frequently the answer is to sell the property. We'd be interested in anybody's comments. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to like us. And subscribe. And subscribe. And, you know, if you have best practices, let us know. Please let us know. Mo most of these ideas came from uh, stories I've heard from clients and clients responding to uh, newsletters and, and emails on the subject. Or worst case. Or worst know. case, if you've got a bad one, we, we will help our clients avoid it. To submit a question or comment, go to our website. It's listed in the show details. Bond & Co. Securities, Inc. Disclaimer. It should not be assumed that your account holdings will correspond directly to any comparative indexes or any of our existing client accounts. Investment in foreign securities have additional risks, including the risk of adverse currency fluctuations. Please remember that different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and current and future results may be higher or lower than those shown. Figures shown are past results and are not predictive of results in future periods. Share prices and returns will vary, so investors may lose money. Investing for short periods of time make losses more likely. It should not be assumed that recommendations made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. For the Vaughn Dividend Growth Program, performance is based on accounts that was managed for the longest period of time, and results are illustrated from inception. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. Performance-based fees can only be utilized by individuals who meet the following qualifications. 
a natural person who or a company that immediately after entering into the contract has at least $1 million under management of the investment advisor. Or a natural person who or a company that the investment advisor entering into the contract and any person acting on his behalf reasonably believes immediately prior to entering into the contract has a net worth together in the case of a natural person with the assets held jointly with a spouse of more than $2.1 million at the time the contract is entered into. For the Vaughn Equity Asset Allocation Program, performance is based on an account that was among the earliest to use the program. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. believes that these results are representative. All income, dividends, interest, and other earnings are reinvested. There may be economic or market conditions that affect performance. Vaughn & Co. Securities Inc. buys concentrated positions for our portfolios, which may make our performance more volatile than that of broad market indexes, and our performance may diverge from an index, positively or negatively, as a result. Investments are not FDIC-insured, nor are the deposits of or guaranteed by a bank or other entity. Vaughn Asset Allocation Program and Vaughn Dividend Growth Accounts results are net of all fees, reflecting trading commissions, maintenance, custody, advisory, and performance fees, if any. It should not be assumed that the recommendation made in the future will be profitable or will equal past performance. Data and information contained in any chart used by Vaughn & Co. Securities, Inc. has been supplied by sources we believe to be reliable, but is not guaranteed. Accounts held at Fidelity Investments are covered by SIPIC.